to another episode of Thinking Deeper About Growth. We're back at Blackfriars House. This podcast is in partnership with Pro Manchester and powered by Impen Maker. Today I have a very distinguished serial entrepreneur who is a philanthropist. He's an investor. He's lots and lots of things, actually, including holding an honorary professorship yeah. in business. I really thought I was going to get that wrong because it's quite a tongue twister. But it is. I did okay. I- I mean, it was never really the plan. I mean, I wasn't particularly academic growing up, so it was quite an unusual thing to add to the CV, really. And I actually didn't add, you now have letters after your name, so Vikasha, M-B-E-D-L. How does that feel? More academic? No, it's odd because I think there's there's two types of people. There's people who I'm scared of, who are the ones I think they deserve awards, and there's people who treat it as a starting point. So... You know, whenever I'm lucky enough for something like that to happen, I think of it as, you know, a group of people have seen something in you that they value, and so they can kind of, like, tag a little pin on you. But then your job is to live up to that. Mm. So I always think of it as whenever you get one, that's your starting point. That's not the end point. Mm. And I, I think that's the only way to kind of deal with them and to not let them... to not let yourself believe your own hype. That's your humility, though. Isn't it? Well, you need it because the minute you start to believe you deserve that kind of thing, the minute and the minute you start to take it too seriously, you know, you stop learning, you stop having normal conversations. It's, it changes you because you feel as if you're elevated when you're not. You know, you're just another person. Mm-hmm. Let's just go back, if I may, to mm-hmm. when you started out at the age of fourteen. Yeah. You set up your own business. What was going on in your head at that time? Well, not the idea of going into business. So, <laughs> yes. so my aim in life was to become a pilot. That was the only thing I wanted to do. And it's a very expensive career choice. So I had to figure out a way. And the way for me was building websites. It's a bit of a side hustle to pay for flying lessons. And what I hadn't anticipated is that's when the dot-com, the first dot-com boom was starting. So, so I was like 13, 14 at the time. And then before you knew it, I was kind of 16. I had employees and... In, a, in several countries, and it turned into a real business. I, I also didn't realise I'd find something that I enjoyed. That was the real surprise, was discovering, like, a passion that I never knew I had in terms of doing business and building things. And so that was, that was great, because it changed, it changed everything. How important is that, do you think, for a person? It kind of depends in what aspect of your life you're thinking, right? Because... If you're doing something that's really hard, then unless you're passionate about it, you won't get through, you won't endure, you won't put up with all the things you need to put up with to be to, do, to get it done, right? Like you want to go and, and climb Everest or whatever, unless you really want to do it, you're not going to go through with it. So, mm. so I think that's where the passion bit comes in. It's, it's basically the ultimate resilience pill because you'll be like, I will. Ju- this is just what I want to do. And it doesn't matter what happens. What happens when that passion is killed by external forces? Because if we look at your journey yeah. generally, that happened, right, in the, in the early time. It didn't kill the passion, it killed the business. So when the first dot-com bubble burst, you know, that business had to sell parts of its basic to shut down the rest. And it was odd because I... I fell out of love with that particular business when it, after that because it was kind of, you know, it was quite painful, obviously. But then it was still this thing of, well, I've got this thing I can do now. It's kind of a nebulous thing, like being a business person. And so I thought, I've got to build something else. 
because I kind of enjoyed that process. So it didn't dampen the passion. Again, to use the, the mountain climbing analogy, it was like getting halfway. The weather was bad. So you had to abandon that particular ascent and then you try again. Okay, so taking that example, if you could go back to that 14-year-old that went through up until mm -hmm. 16, what would you tell that 14-year-old boy today? Maybe... Hmm. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because life makes complete sense in retrospect. And, you know, we look back in life and go, oh, I should have done this, should have done that. But most of the time, you make the best decision you can with the information you have that day. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But hindsight gives you that vision where it should have worked out. And I think part of me would go back and tell that 14-year-old not to do it. Because... Okay. The sacrifice of missing growing up was, was odd because I had to grow up a lot in one dimension in the kind of business and that side. But, you know, those are the real formative years when you should just be kind of slightly more, you know, relaxed and enjoying life and kind yeah. of discovering yourself. And, and, and I think missing that was was difficult. I don't know what impact that's had. Would you say you've lost quite a hefty element of your childhood then because you were focused on, on the business side so early? Yeah, it was, you know, it, it wasn't lost in the sense of it being, you know, a regret, let's say, but it was just one thing become, became so overwhelmingly important that everything else got sidelined. You know, you see the same with, you know, professional sports stars and everyone where all of a sudden something becomes your everything and so everything else suffers. So just talking about sports stars actually because when I last interviewed you which was a couple of years ago, yeah. hint, hint, um, you've been exacting me since, um, no, I'm joking. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, we talked about your book that had just come out which was Thought Economics yeah. and you had spoken, had some amazing conversations, I mean the book is a, a real read, I would recommend it to anybody, um, where you've got some amazing conversations with athletes, um, Nobel Peace Prize winners, um, real game changers. Um, what, what would you say is the most important thing that you've now learnt in your life from all of that? That Because you, you've obviously, I can imagine you're like a sponge, you're just listening to everything that these people are saying. What, what was like, what's your takeaway from that, that? That's like the most memorable. So we're never really taught how to have conversations. So we're taught how to have opinions and we're taught how to assert our opinions and present, you know, so even when we're at school, you're taught how to present and all, do all these things, but we're never taught how to have conversations. And we're never taught how to enter a conversation and not be judgmental and listen and let a conversation flow. And I think for me, you know, I've done like 500 and something interviews over the last 15 something-ish years with Thought Economics. And I think the big thing, for, the big learning for me was that, the big learning was how do you have a conversation? How do you build rapport? How do you really get to the nub of, of kind of what makes people tick and what matters to them? And, you know, intuitively, we should all know that. But, you know, the minute digital culture came <laughs> along, it distanced us. It distanced us from each other. I think way before that, intuition has been long removed from most of us. I think it has. But, you know, look at it this way. 
you know, we will, you know, on, on the occasion that I reply, which I'm apologetic for, um, you know, we usually will chat on WhatsApp or something. And it's not the same, <laughs> right? This is on record, by the way, peeps. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's, it's not the same. <laughs> you know, you can have a functional, interesting conversation, but you miss all the important bits yeah, of conversation. You do. And and that to me has been the biggest gift of doing all those interviews is is learning how to have conversations learning how to suspend belief and suspend judgment and all those things and and then sometimes you have conversations which you can't go back from you know so i interviewed um seven of the holocaust survivors and whilst none of them would ever and rightly so excuse what happened to them they were all able to find peace with it and they were all able to in some senses forgive what happened and you know, when you're having a conversation like that, how can you then hate anybody or anything when a person who's been through that is able to be, you know, stoic and almost forgiving? Does that make you a lot more conscious and mindful? And how important is that on a day-to-day -day basis then, do you think? Because you've been so fortunate to have been graced with this information you know, people will learn this through their separate conversations with separate people, but you've had the advantage of having access to some of these incredible people that have been through so much. How do you, how does it form your life moving forward? It makes me really happy, but it also makes me really sad because, you know, what you said there is often posed to me, which is I've been able to meet all these interesting people, but guess what? Everyone can go to a library and... And, I, and, you know, one of the reasons thought economics is, is basically in text is to replicate that, because if we think about what, what really forms culture, you know, what really makes our society work, it's philosophy. You know, it's the, the philosophy that creates the ideology of the time, and that's really what everything's built on. And philosophy's deep, and it's hard, and it's, it's complex, but, you know, that's the kind of secret key to unlocking an understanding of the world and an understanding of, you know, morality and aesthetics and all those important things that drive how society works. And we've relegated things like the arts and we've relegated things like philosophy to being part of, you know, this haute couture culture. <laughs> so we think of those as things that, you know, people do when they have money or whatever, but we forget that for most of civilization, conversations yeah, around historic. art and philosophy were basically just what people talked about. And it was... Yeah important you sound really passionate about it are you wanting to do something about this i don't know <laughs> i don't know if i don't know do you think it would be received well given the number of distractions that are out there that you've just talked about people's ideologies around different subjects are now completely different to what we're talking about being the, the kind of ground foundation base of, of philosophy so it links back to the notion of what's valuable in mm. society, right? And if you live in a society where knowledge and truth and those things are valuable, then yes, I'd, I'd like to do something about it. But I don't know. And the simple reason is because I think, I think we're at a stage in society where what people count as valuable is, is rather less important, in my view at least, because I think value now is you know, profile and 
you know, exposure and... What's value to you? I don't know. Because I don't know if it's something you can articulate. Is it happiness? Maybe, but... So what would happiness the, the, mean to you? How do you define that? So I'll give you an example. You could go and see a painting that you love, right? Or you could see a sculpture that you love and you look at it and it makes you feel a certain way. And you'll know that that feeling is the right feeling to have, but you couldn't necessarily write it down. In the same way that if somebody was born blind, it's difficult for them to describe... You know, you couldn't really describe to them what red is. Mm. And I think the problem we have is, in the wish to describe everything, we miss the fact that there's a lot of things which are kind of beyond that. And so, as to the question of, let's say, what my value set is, it's... It's more of a feeling. It's more knowing that I'm on the right path as opposed to being able to articulate it into kind of a 10-point plan. Mm -hmm. What do you think people may misunderstand about you? I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of people might think it's easy. And, and it's weird because the paradox of that sensation is this, which is there's an extent to which by virtue of the businesses having been successful, my life in some ways is very easy, you know? But then it's just a different type of problem. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're responsible for, you know, a few hundred people's jobs and other stakeholders, it's, it's a different type of worry. And, and I think that's something which is often not discussed about, about this wonderful buzzword of entrepreneurship, right? <laughs> which is... You know, people think it's think of it as, you know, going to conferences and building a profile and then exiting, but they don't realise that it's actually really hard. And, you know, only one out of nine, only one out of 10 startups will succeed. Um, only maybe 20% of companies survive past three years. It's really hard. Mm. And, and that's the conversation we kind of don't have about it. It's interesting because whenever I've spoken to you and when you have gone under the radar, it's because this thing's going on. Um, post-lockdown, during mm -hmm. lockdown, a little bit after that. Um, but the thing that I always found very refreshing about you is that you, would, you were honest. You always told me what was going on. If it was a, a situation within your work, you always said, look, this has happened or that's happened. When it was to do with um, Brexit and, and the whole impact that it had on your yeah. business. Um, do you think if people did that more and they, they weren't trying to live in this bubble of this is how I'm supposed to look as an yeah. entrepreneur, that people may succeed. Well, I think it might make people Or think, go further, maybe. I think lifting the veil of what running a business is really like, I think will be far more healthy when people are determining, is that the right career choice for them? Mm. Or is that something they want to do? You know we're in a lovely building and there's a kind of co-working space outside and there's lots of people there at the early stage of their journey and when I'm mentoring people oftentimes that's the bit that's the hard hurdle to get over is you know when you budget it you're like you know I've got this time and and you're having fun and all this and then all of a sudden things get real you have your first dispute with a client you have to let an employee go you have to bid on a contract you know you, it's reality hits you really hard in that situation. And that's the bit I think is not often discussed because people glamorize entrepreneurship like it's something 
going out of fashion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it really isn't. And I'm not saying that to be dismissive of it because, you know, I've been able to do some really incredible things in life as a result of choosing this particular life. But it's, it's not what people think it is. Amazing. Thank you so much. That was great. Yeah. <laughs>